This is a time of um, anxiety, a time of fear, a a time of trouble um, in the world uh, as it is stressed by the uh, uh, pandemic. Uh, We experience it in our own nation uh, that is now uh, more polarized than I have ever observed it in my brief lifetime. And the church itself is divided uh, partly out of a response uh, to this disease. We understand also that families are going through stresses and difficulties and strains, often hidden. And your heart, too, uh, may have many cares and anxieties. We think of a text from 1 Peter 5, Cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. And then from Psalm 40, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. The scripture is replete, is full of, of texts that describe God's care for the struggler. God's care for the one who is not able to take care of herself. God hears. God cares. God comes alongside. We're we're looking uh, this evening at Psalm 94. You may turn to that if you wish. And it's a, a longish psalm, and so I thought that it would be helpful for us to have a verse that ties it all together, that even would enable us to unlock the meaning of the psalm, crystallize it in one verse. And I would like us uh, to say this verse together, Psalm 94, verse 19, and I would encourage you to inscribe it on your heart, to take it with you, whatever else I may say. Take this verse with you because God cares for his people. Let's say this together. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Let's say that again. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Amen. In your anxious fears, then, rediscover the gracious heart of God. In your anxious fears, rediscover the gracious heart of God. Let's, uh, let's pray before we turn to this text. Spirit of God, we are praying for you to speak through this word and to oppress, impress upon us the nature of of our God, what He is like, what He promises for us, and those promises being particularly helpful, necessary, in times when we we may feel alone, we may feel like a persecuted minority as believers, in this country at least, we may be going through particular uh, things of... of, um, experiences of suffering that we, we need more than anything else tonight to know that you care and you hear and you act. Holy Spirit, um, unplug, unstick our ears uh, to be able to hear the beauty of your word tonight. Amen. Just verses 1 through 3 at this time, Psalm 94. 
this is a plea uh, for God to make things right, a plea for God to make things right. Uh, O Lord, um, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? The psalmist and we ourselves often weary of injustice. Worn down in the face of relentless evil. We face injustice ourselves. We may be unfairly treated. We may be slandered by others. We may be taken advantage of in one way or another. And our cry, too, goes out, how long? And behind that question, how long, are a couple of other questions. One being, is God paying attention? Is God alert to what I'm going through. And if he is, there's another question. How can a God of justice allow this to go on? And we also, as verse 1 says, we long to see God shine forth. We long to see God show up in his glory. And the Spirit consoles us in a very unusual way. Through this text, the Spirit consoles our hearts through God's vengeance. Now, this is hardly popular today. We far prefer a mushy love that simply ignores all offenses. And we have developed a God of our own making. We have fashioned a non-judgmental God as if such a God could save us or anyone. A non-judgmental God. A God who ignores offenses. Let me ask you, if someone harmed someone precious to you, someone harmed a child, a spouse, a close friend, would you simply shrug it off? Oh well, whatever, and go on unmoved by it. You can't be casual about the ones you love. And God can't be casual about the ones He has made and the ones who obey and the ones who disobey. We are longing for God to make things right. And the Spirit's telling us right here already, that's something that can cheer us up. In your anxious fears, rediscover the gracious heart of God. When the cares of your heart are many, your consolations, Lord, cheer my soul. That's consolation number one. Now we can expect, as this psalm goes on, we can expect um, arrogant hatred towards God's people. We should not be surprised when Christians are persecuted in China or in this country either. Verses 4 through 7. They pour out arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner. They murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. 
Their words leak violence in their opposition to God's people, and they target the vulnerable. I want instead today to think, jump ahead to verses 20 and 21, and say that there is a particularly dangerous kind of injustice that goes on. It is not just the lawless justice of one citizen against another. It can also be a justice, an injustice, when a nation, a country, loses its moorings and and passes laws that are not glorifying to God, but instead oppress other people. Uh, Look at this, verse 20 and 21. Can wicked rulers be um, allied with you? Uh, Those who frame injustice by statute, passing unjust laws. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. I want you to keep two things in mind tonight as we work through this passage. And one of them is the individual ways in which you, in which you suffer injustice and are crying out, how long? And how is it that God cannot just help you to persevere, but actually cheer your heart so that you can praise Him? That's one. But on the other side, I want to look as well at what is going on in our nation. Because we are, as the new left, as it might be called, as the new left is having more and more influence, there, there, are, there is a perception, there is a... Um, a a perspective of seeking to punish the righteous. What do I mean by that? Um, our country, is, our society is arrogantly turning against God and against Christians. And there is a form of Marxism uh, that is growing in its prevalence in our country today. Marxism, very, very quickly, Marxism is that is a notion that there are two, largely there are two groups in any society. There are the oppressed and the, and the oppressors. And in classic Marxism, uh, the kind of Marx and Engels, uh, there was the bourgeoisie, uh, the, the middle class, and they were oppressing the proletariat, uh, the working, the working uh, class. And the goal was that the means of production would move from the hands of the bourgeoisie over to the proletariat, the working class, so that they could see the fruit of their labors right in front of them. They would have the means of control of the means of production. That is classic economic Marxism. What we have going on in our country largely, but not exclusively, is what has been called cultural Marxism. There are still oppressors, and there, there are the oppressed, just those two groups. And this is what you need to hang on to. The oppressors are those who are identified as those who traditionally held power, both economically and morally. Uh, economically, we can think of, of the white upper class um, with the, in a capitalistic society, the upper 1% and, and below that too, uh, but those who have the economic power and those in the, thinking morally, um, those uh, who are, are controlling uh, the narrative for what is appropriate or, or proper behavior in particular in the area of sexuality. And so the oppressor in the new left, the oppressor is seen as Christianity itself, 
The church in particular, including monogamous um, families, monogamous marriages and their families. The biblical view of marriage has been rejected because it is seen as oppressive. And the new left would say that it is the most, most oppressive institution that the most repressive institution is the traditional monogamous family. Reason for that is uh, traditional, uh, a traditional monogamous family represses the wife, considers her chattel mere property, so she's oppressed. But also homosexuals are oppressed because uh, they are not allowed in on the game, or at least weren't until until recently. What is striking about this is that when the Supreme Court overturned the Defense of Marriage Act, their reasoning went something like this: a traditional marriage implies disapproval of, implies just in its nature disapproval of homosexual. It, it stigmatizes them, and it went on to say there is no rational reason for a marriage between a man and a woman only. Uh, the Defense of Marriage Act was later reversed, and the reasons given for the reverse of the, of the, um, of the Defense of Marriage Act was that there is an unconstitutional animus that motivated that defense of traditional monogamous marriage. Animus means hostility or enmity. In other words, if you believe in in a marriage between a man and a woman, um, and you exclude others from that, you are hostile and you are at enmity with, for example, homosexuals. And if you oppose homosexuals nowadays, you are described as having a psychological pathology. You are called a homophobic, which is a a pejorative description or a description of someone who has a pathology, someone who has a diseased way of thinking. And so uh, we are uh, heading in the direction of threats, uh, in fact, we're already there in some contexts, a threat to our First Amendment rights of free speech and the free exercise of religion, already under attack in, in many places. There are only safe zones in our universities where you may speak freely. Everywhere else, you must toe the party line. I'm saying all this because, as this psalm says, there are some, there are some who frame injustice by statute. And you and I are going to need to get used to that. That's going to happen, and we're going to have to learn how to live in a culture like that. And that's what this psalm is equipping us to do. In our individual lives where we face injustice, but also where there where you might call um, systemic injustice at the hands, God forbid, of our own government. The the psalmist here has this attitude, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. If God's there, so what? He's part of the problem, and we don't care what he says. Now, 
So far, I haven't given you much reason for cheer. But let's hang on. We don't see it yet. Verses 8 uh, eight uh, to 11 uh, really are telling us that fools resist God. Fools resist God, but they can't win. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, but they are but a breath. The first part of this section, I, I think you could understand it to say something like this. If people, if people are amazing, and we are the way that we're made, if people are amazing, then God is even more so. How ludicrous it is to believe that time uh, plus chance plus uh, primeval ooze can create a human being. That is ludicrous. That is a notion that is, is folly. And the specific application here is, is, that, is that the one who made eyes also sees. We could look at it this way. Um, we can transplant part of a cornea. Isn't that wonderful? We're able to, we have the technology to do that. But God is the one who designed that irreducibly complex uh, organ of the human eye. He not only designed it, but he makes them by the millions. And the one who made the eye sees the injustices done to you, every one of them, and he will hold accountable those who have perpetrated that injustice against you. Not only that, but he hears every unjust charge. He made the ear. He too hears um, every unjust charge, every slander, every abuse against another person. Now we've got a, bit, a little bit better reason for hope, don't we? And maybe even a little bit of cheer. God sees. God hears. God will hold accountable. You see, he still disciplines the nations. He disciplines not only individuals who bring injustice, but societies that do too. Sinful pride against God is called autonomy, where we make the rules. And every autonomous political system will implode, will buckle under the weight of its own hubris. God promises that. And so the world lives in a, fall, in, a, in a cursed state, an expression of that being COVID itself, isn't it? The world groaning, the, the, our, the creation groaning, subject to futility and the bondage to decay. Besides that, as Roman 1, tell, 1 tells us, that God gave them over to their own sin as part of their judgment. Unleashed a rebellion against God does not say that God is out of control. It's saying that God is bringing discipline to people. Do not give up hope. God still disciplines the nations, uh, but he is also he is also purifying you by today's injustice. He's disciplining you in a different way, for a different goal, 
He's purifying you by to by and with and through today's injustice. Verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous. For all the upright in heart will follow it. God's discipline of you, please hear me. God's discipline of you is not punishment. It is formative. God's discipline of you is not retribution. It is formative. You are learning. You are learning to prefer the beauty of God's commands. You are learning to prefer a life of faithfulness even when it's hard. Because you've gotten a glimpse of the beauty of God and His holiness and His righteousness. It's worth it. It's worth it. You've committed yourself to faithfulness, to joy in God, and not just getting what the world promises. Look with me at verse 13. Uh, To give him rest from days of trouble. Uh, Better to say the promise of rest in the day of trouble, not from the day of trouble. Do you hear the difference? The promise of rest is in the day of trouble, not from the day of trouble. One commentator put it this way, that this is an inward quietness in the face of outward troubles. You're in your trouble. You're in your injustice. And yet you have an inward quietness because you know God. Inward quietness in the face of outward troubles. And so the Spirit is now cheering you up. The Spirit is cheering you up with the knowledge of God your Father. As we've sung many of the hymns that we were singing tonight, speak of God's care for us in trouble. And our hearts are satisfied by that. The Spirit cheers you up because the Father knows and the Father cares. Hey, listen, we are all susceptible to suffering-induced spiritual amnesia. Did you hear that? We are all susceptible to suffering-induced spiritual amnesia. That when life gets hard, uh, self-pity can cause you to forget what you already know and to live like it's not true. But you see, what does this promise show to you about God's heart? That He does know you. He knows your struggle. And it matters to Him. And He is for you. And even during these difficult days that we go through, we go through a chaotic, uh, chaotic uh, um, episodes within our own government on both sides of the aisle, if you will. Uh, we go through this, the stress of COVID. We go through pain in this fallen world. And, and these things are not from the, the, the hands of an apathetic God. They are actually fresh opportunities every single day for you to exercise your faith muscles. Uh, Cheer up, because God is using even the sin in other people to build your character. He's always for you. And what else? 
besides that can cheer you up. Well, finally then, uh, your consolations cheer my soul. Verses 16 to 23. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in a land of silence. When I thought, when I thought, um, my foot slips. Psalm 73 in the background. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. Certainly, anxieties weigh down your heart. And certainly, God's consolations lighten your soul. You have um, cares that sadden you. But God's consolations can cheer you up. Do you, do you get the drama of this? Our, our minds and our hearts can be so preoccupied with our troubles. That thoughts just race through our minds that add to the aggravation and the fear. And we live as if there never was a Holy Spirit. We live as if there was never a Son of God who died for our sins and rose for our justification. That we would not be victims and under the control of sin. In order, in order to get a, in order to get a, a, a good glimpse of those consolations, it's important for us to remember at this point: do not settle for counterfeits. Do not settle for counterfeits that aren't really an interaction with God to receive His consolations. What do I mean by counterfeits? Some of us have grown up in families where the motto is, if uh, uh, unspoken, if not put on a put on a, 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 a what do you call it when you have a, a, a sewing a sewing a something putting on the wall? What do you call it? It's a cross stitch. Cross stitch. It might not be a cross stitch on your your wall, but but it's something that could be un, could be un, unwritten, and it's something like this: just have a stiff upper lip. Don't talk about your failures or your weaknesses or your needs. Just have a stiff upper lip or, lip. or this one, grin and bear it. Just fake it until you make it. Just grin. And, and in both of these cases, your heart can grow cold and cynical and you're not even enjoying God's consolation at all. What you're doing is making up a false strategy in order to deal with life's troubles. Don't settle for counterfeits. But this again is a sh- almost a shocking way that the Lord calls us to truly be consoled. 
a way that he consoles us here is saying relief is coming. God will wipe them out. Now, how does punishment of the wicked cheer your soul? Each injustice you experience, each injustice you experience from an individual uh, is going on their cosmic rap sheet. God is tracking each injustice done against you. Let your eyes slip back to verse 1 again. And, and, and really, really it says, um, the Lord, uh, O Lord, God of vengeances, plural, vengeances. And what that means is that God will hold each person accountable for each injustice that they brought against his precious children. God will hold them accountable for each injustice against one of God's children. His vengeance is fair. It is never too harsh. It is never too light. Vengeance is God's. He will repay Besides, if you are the one that is seeking to provide vengeance for yourself, you will find it to be exhausting, disheartening, and it certainly will rob you of all energy and joy. Vengeance is mine. Don't you worry about it. That's a source of joy. That's cheering your heart with God who says, I will come and I will wipe them out. Your consolations cheer my soul. Vengeance is coming. Retribution is coming. Relief is coming. And God says, find your joy in that. But there's another way too. And that is to find comfort in Jesus, your champion, both now presently and in what's what's ahead. Find Uh, Comfort and cheer in Jesus, your champion, right now and when he comes back. Look with me back at verse 16. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against the evildoers? Who is going to come and fight God's battles for him? Who is going to come and protect me from my enemies? The greatest enemy, of course, is my own sin, and it's the devil himself. Who's going to do that? Of course, that is Jesus. And so you find um, Jesus' courage for you, for he faced wickedness without flinching. And you come to your champion and you say, my Jesus. I don't know if you remembered when Bill Wilkie was leading worship here um, before he stepped down for a while. Bill, But he would pray that. He would pray that our Jesus, our Jesus, our champion, We have his blood and his righteousness. He is our intercessor. He is our advocate, the one who has a gentle and quiet heart for us. The one for whom mercy and patience is his natural way of dealing with us, not wrath. Our Jesus. That's who's fighting for you right now. 
but you can also be cheered up, cheered on as you await for his uh, return, for he will usher in a just and new world. And your suffering now is light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that will be beyond all comparison. I want to conclude tonight by reading several verses from 2 Corinthians 4. Just listen to this reading. Familiar, but absolutely stunningly beautiful about Jesus, your champion. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have um, uh, this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this light, slight, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are, not, that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your glorious presence, uh, now having heard your word, we want these, these words to be driven into our hearts, to lodge there, uh, so that they can be um, pulled out and, and give us great encouragement. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Lord, we grant that you, we pray that you would grant us the spirit of adoption in full measure, that we would know not only the righteousness of Jesus, but we would know that we are your sons and daughters. We always have your favor. We always have your heart. We always have your eye on us. We always have your ear attentive to us. We always have Jesus, who is our advocate and our intercessor. We are never alone. We always have the spirit. And pray that this would give us such courage that we could bear up under whatever our particular, our unique suffering is, whether it comes from an individual or whether it comes from our nation. For we pray these things 
In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.